0: Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.
1: Hello, this is Tim Rice, and this is episode 39 of my podcast, Get Onto My Cloud. I've been recording these weekly podcasts, which by and large reminisce about highlights and indeed lowlights of my 50-plus years in records and musical theater I've been recording them for about nine months now, and it's been interesting and perhaps instructive to note that the podcasts dealing with chess, the musical I wrote with Bjorn Orweis and Benny Addison in 1983 and 1984, attract, by some distance, the greatest interest and reaction. So here I go with the sixth podcast dedicated to the early days of chess, which, as I'm sure all chess nuts will know, started life as an album and a concert which played five European capitals in late 1984. That concert tour, which visited Paris, Amsterdam, Hamburg, Stockholm and London, featured the stars of the record, the London Symphony Orchestra, the Ambrosian Singers, and, in humble capacity, the writers of the work themselves. The album and the concerts could hardly have gone better, and by early 1985 we were riding high on the music charts and had had several approaches from theatrical producers for a stage production. How we managed to make a cock-up of subsequent stage shows could be a topic for half a dozen future podcasts. A combination of incompetence and sheer bad luck nearly derailed Chess's theatrical life completely, but, nearly 40 years on, the piece is still in huge demand from theatrical companies all over the world. Post-pandemic, if the world ever returns to normal, There is no piece of mine I would rather see back on the boards than chess. I remember shortly after the album had been released, getting a call at home from the great director Peter Hall. He was very interested in talking about a stage production of chess. Yup, THE Peter Hall, one of the most distinguished British directors of the 20th century. To my total shame, I was very offhand with him, as I'd never forgotten a piece he wrote, I think it was for the Observer newspaper, over a decade earlier, entitled something along the lines of The Failure of Jesus Christ Superstar. Shortly after knocking Jesus Christ Superstar, Peter Hall directed a musical of his own entitled Via Galactica, a sci-fi space travel rock opera of the future, which was a total flop. It only ran for seven performances on Broadway, one of which I attended. It was indeed pretty awful despite a very distinguished creative lineup, including Galt McDermott, who had written the music for Hair, and Christopher Gore, who was later to become an Oscar-nominated writer for his screenplay of the hit movie Fame. Christopher Gore is not to be confused with Michael Gore, brother of the It's My Party singer and writer Leslie Gore, who, and this is confusing, I'm talking about Michael now, won an Oscar for the title song in Fame, the movie. Furthermore, Via Galactica starred the marvellous Broadway leading man Raoul Julia and the wonderful Irene Cara, who herself became a major star in the movie of fame. Via Galactica's set was constructed principally of trampolines, and it was described as a futuristic story of social outcasts living on an asteroid set in the year 2972. Then 1,000 years away, now only 951 years away. Among this gang of social outcasts was Gabriel Finn, who was a space sanitation man who collected trash in a clamshell shaped garbage ship called the Helen of Troy. But I digress. The point is, I was rather rude to Sir Peter, and bearing in mind his way senior position to me in the theatrical world, I should not have allowed one ancient article and one flop show to have influenced me so many years later. I never met the late Peter Hall, but saw several of his outstanding shows in later years, not least his work with Elaine Page, on shows such as P.F. I wish that I had apologised. Who can say what might have happened had Peter Hall directed the first stage production of chess? But for now, let me continue with less guilt to tell a few tales about the chess recording sessions which took place primarily in Stockholm in 83 and 84. In previous Get On To My Cloud shows, I've dealt with many of the main arias in the work, such as I Know Him So Well, Anthem, One Night in Bangkok, and Where I Want To Be. I'd now like to chat about one of the most demanding songs in the score, Pity the Child. It's become known in some musical circles as Pity the Singer, as the vocal range required is, to put it mildly, considerable. Nonetheless, several fine actors and singers have, to use an expression which is still, I believe, just about in vogue at the time of this podcast, nailed it. The first man to do so was, of course, Murray Head, and frankly, his version on the album has never been surpassed. I don't say it hasn't been equalled. I've witnessed thrilling live performances from the likes of Josh Groban, Adam Pascal and James Fox, to name but three. But on the album, Murray certainly matched his magnificent performance as Judas, on the original Jesus Christ Superstar album 15 years before the chess storyline clearly needed a scene in which we explain why freddie trumper the american chess player behaved erratically neurotically and, and often abusively often against his own interest of course the model for my creation of this character was bobby fisher the chess genius who in 1972 became the first American to win the World Chess Championship for nearly a century, ending the post-World War II Soviet domination of the sport at the height of the Cold War, all these being factors that inspired my idea for the show in the first place. The first time I heard the music that became Freddie Trumper's primal scream was at the very end of 1983. Here are Benny and the ABBA band. This was clearly a brilliant and emotional piece of dramatic music, complex but melodic, rock, percussive and potentially symphonic, and over five minutes long. I didn't even know for sure what I wanted Freddie to say, but I reckoned this was the music he could use to say it. It took me a while to get the structure and the tempo of the vocal line into my head, in which task I was helped enormously by Bjorn's guide vocals. As ever, his dummy lyrics were anything but dummy. Here he is singing a couple of verses that show me exactly where my words were to lie.
0: Crimson we all touch the side How did I ever dare to say my what you are the past, you're tying me down you are the prince must fighting
1: Some of Bjorn's lyrics sound as if they're part of another show with a lead character named Millie. Taking me through the desert safely, with the sun burning red like a crimson eye. We always touched the sky. How did I ever dare to say goodbye? What a terrible dream. It's intriguing stuff, even though probably written off the cuff. No rhyme intended there. Anyway, I remember finishing what was to be the final version of the lyrics for Pity the Child in Benny's house just outside Trosa, a small town on the Swedish coast some 45 miles from stockholm my memory is not quite as clear as it should be of those few days in trossa but i recall one night in particular when we were celebrating the completion of something quite possibly pity the child and did not call it a day until well into the next one it barely got dark in trossa between late spring and early autumn and it was something like 6 a.m. before i decided to stagger to my room i woke at 4 in the afternoon and there was no sign of life in other parts of the house furthermore The landline of the phone appeared to be disconnected and these were pre-mobile days. Needing to ring home as I usually did daily on my Scandinavian travels, I began to wait in vain for my colleagues to surface and reconnect the dwelling to the outside world. After a couple of hours of wandering around the beautiful woodlands amid which Benny's country pad nestled, I noticed that Benny's car was A. open and B. the key was in the ignition so I hopped in and set off to downtown Trossa in search of a phone and a sandwich, hoping not to meet a moose en route, well aware that every year in Sweden there were something like 6,000 road accidents involving mooses. Mies, moose. The roads were pretty deserted, which made it harder to remind myself to drive on the right, and although I felt totally on the ball, I was not sure a breathalyzer would have brightened my evening. I made it into town, found a café, knocked back a small beer, and managed to call home. On the way back, it suddenly dawned on me that I'd no idea whether the car I'd borrowed was even Benny's. Maybe I'd nicked the vehicle belonging to the chap coming to fix the phone. Anyway, I got back without meeting any wildlife, and indeed without immediately meeting Bjorn and Benny, who were still sleeping it off. It was getting dark again by the time they surfaced, and the three of us enjoyed a quiet evening. The phone had simply fallen off the hook in one of the bedrooms, and the car was Benny's. Murray's first crack at Pity the Child was vocally outstanding. Some of the lyrics in the production were to change before the final version was released, but I think even at this early stage we were aware that this was a particularly powerful and dramatic scene. I created what I felt was a plausible story of Freddie Trumper's childhood and adolescence, a father who'd abandoned the family, and a mother whom Freddie came to despise for looking elsewhere for love and support. I could not draw at all on my personal experience, as I was fortunate enough to enjoy a very happy and conventional British post-war childhood. I have appreciated that many people over the years have told me that they identified with aspects of the lyric, and they were sometimes surprised when I pointed out that it really wasn't based on anything I'd been through. After all, there are plenty of other examples of my output when I've written, whether well or not, From a point of view or situation I've never myself experienced, so why should Pity the Child be different? This is particularly true for the majority of lyrics I've written for women to sing. And of course, I've never stood on a balcony in Buenos Aires bedecked with jewels addressing 50,000 workers claiming to be the answer to their problems. So, like most other songs I've written, Pity the Child was total fiction as far as I was concerned. I had a bit of trouble convincing my own dear mother of this, She never really warmed to the song, but I think she realised she was most certainly not even the slightest inspiration for it. Ironically, there are other moments in chess, far more than in any other work of mine, which are drawn from my personal experience. Here is Murray Head's first excellent version of Pity the Child.
0: When I was nine, I learned survival, taught myself not to care. I was my single good companion Taking my comfort there Up in my room I planned my conquests On my own never asked for a helping hand But no one would understand I never asked the pair Just in case they said no Pity the child who has ambition Knows what he wants to do Knows that he'll never fit the system Others expect him to Pity the child who knew his parents Saw their faults, saw their love die before his eyes. They did the child that twice. He never asked, Did I cause your distress? Just in case they said yes. When I was 12. With a whimper, not with her shouts I didn't miss him He made it perfectly clear I was a fool and probably queer. Never let her bed get cold. Someone moved in, I shut my door. Someone to treat her. child but not forever not if he stays that way he can get all he ever wanted if he's prepared to pay
1: first time we heard that was pretty uplifting, even though it turned out not to be the finished article. To wind up this chess podcast, which has been fairly pity the child heavy, some Benny ramblings recorded at the same time, exploring variations on One Night in Bangkok. <laughs> episode 39 of Get Onto My Cloud, written and presented by me, Tim Rice, and produced impeccably by Peter Hobbs.